So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Record. Okay, I hit record. Uh, Welcome to Feature Creep colon... Uh, Built-in microwave semicolon. Um, immunitize the eschaton. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Burn it, burn, burn it, it all down. down. <laughs> um. Well, I think okay. So, real easy. We'll just start with what the fuck is an eschaton? <laughs> the eschaton is like, well, like religious people would refer to it as the rapture, maybe, or like the Armageddon. Uh, but it's also just categorized as the end of everything. Yeah, it's um it's kind of this like it's a time period described in eschatology eschatological writings and doomsday <laughs> scenarios as in writings that are about the end of times or the end of the world. Um Right. Yeah, and I think that my favorite reference to eschaton comes from Infinite Jest, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. And Does he mention the eschaton in that? Oh, he does more than just mention it. He has an entire game that's played at the tennis academy called Eschaton. And um, the game... How am I not remembering this? Yeah. So the game is um, basically this sort of like this... uh, How do we describe it? Like it's the world map is laid out on a tennis court and... There are key cities that uh, piles of tennis are, I think, like, I think if I remember correctly, there are some like tennis balls there or like something. But essentially, you there's a computer program that they have that like kind of controls the flow of the game. And it involves like the kids like launching tennis balls in the air and trying to um, where they strike like has implications that you input into the computer and it talks about how many people were killed and all these things. Okay. Um, it's been a little while <laughs> since I read it, but I don't fucking remember this part of the book. I need, I, okay. Yeah, come on. that's all right. Um, <laughs> there's a lot in that book to remember. There's a lot I, in that book I'm to remember. I'm really yeah. surprised that I don't remember this part of it because it's so appealing to me in the contemporary sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd and it's very I much feel like kind of eschatonic right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to find some like uh, some better <laughs> references to it or a quote, but I can't find anything right now. But um, yeah, I mean, anyway, so immunitize as in make now. immediate. Yes. Make now. So, make imminent the crazy thing is like i think that um i think there are like religious groups or people who kind of um not only do they acknowledge that uh that climate change is real but they are pushing for it because it's part of their goal of like imminentizing the eschaton because for their oh belief, right to like, bring about the armageddon yes. yeah because their beliefs yes, the end times their beliefs in the end times and the idea of rapture and all of those things being right. this great thing that's going to happen because they've been so pious or whatever the fuck bullshit um do you remember a while ago bill maher who i'm not actually a fan of did that movie same. religious that i watched because i am a fan of <laughs> sometimes making fun of religious people that's so terrible that one's gonna come back to haunt me um 
but right. I, re- I remember, out there now. Yeah, I, apparently I share this with Bill Maher. It's the only thing I have in common with that man. Um, uh, and he talks to one woman who evidently is a religious person, um, an evangelical, if I'm not mistaken. And he okay. says something to her about like, well, what do you think the rapture is going to be like? And she's like, when I get raptured, I'm going to come back on a white horse. He's like, no, no I don't think you understand rapture. <laughs> <laughs> There's no coming back. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's nothing to come back to. <laughs> right. I just, that has just stuck with me. Uh-huh. And of course, like, <laughs> of course she has an accent that it sounds dangerously close to Texan uh, <laughs> when she says it. She's like, when I come back, I'm going to come back on a big white horse. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like imagine this woman being some distant relative of Damon's relatives in East Texas. Uh-huh. Like, like loving the idea of the rapture because of something that actually doesn't have anything to do with the rapture. And so like she's totally mistaken about the thing that she professes to believe her own belief structure, which is something that I find happens not infrequently with religious people right <laughs> so yeah. it just kind of like that whole scene just like sums it up for me uh-huh. <laughs> it's quintessential i think um I, it just just kind of strikes me in tangentially speaking like the concept of um it, like somehow like that religious people are the only ones who uh, like walk around in an illogical state of mind or something. And, and oh. that's entirely not true. Like I spend probably most of my time trying to uncover how, how idiotic I'm being. Um, me too. Yes. I just think yeah. the difference is like when someone calls me out on it, typically my response isn't like, fuck you and doubling down on my idiocy. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, right. That is kind of dumb. Maybe I could be being a better yeah. person over here or, or enjoying my life. You know, I could be laughing 65% more of the time. Um, could be laughing. Yeah. 63% more of the time. Exactly. So, um, Anyway, I just find that that it is it is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, so why are we why are we into imminent eschatonic immunization? Uh, well, why we're talking about it is because um, we just prior to this podcast recording <laughs> spent about an hour too long attempting to explain. <laughs> yeah, explain how um, uh, like the ins and outs and whys of programming and and to put this in context i think that a normal a normal lesson in learning to program so in particular meg you're attempting to learn to write in python yes it's going to be great it's yeah. going to be so much fun someday yeah, someday and um i think that today we hit on the pitfall of our dynamic which is in this context so I think a normal teacher of Python would just be like, shut up. It's this way because it, because I say it is. And, um, my problem is that you like to ask the hard questions and I like the hard questions to be known and, or like, and so, um, not only to know what the hard questions are, but then to know what the answers are. And oftentimes I don't know. Like you ask a question, I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I have a satisfactory answer. Let's find out. And so we spent an hour, um, like basically we spent a good portion of the time just understanding why Python uses white space the way it does. And what the fuck does that even mean? And just to give you a hint of the answer to that, because this isn't really about programming, um, Python just uses white space as a delimiter of um, like to delimit space, right? To, to delimit the limits of a space. So when you're writing, how you said that sounds like a logical tautology. It is a logical tautology. (laughs) Um, I mean, (laughs) 
I think almost delimiter is the is a logical tautology a logical in and of itself. Um, the which word is fine. Del- yeah, which is fine. Once you know that. Yeah, but um, I think to kind of sum it up, like in other languages, uh, they often use delimiters are actual like tokens. So, for instance, like if you're defining a function, you use a curly brace to start the open port to open the block of code that's going to be the function, and another curly brace brace to close the block. Um, of code that is defining the function whereas mm-hmm. in um in python they just use white space which is to say that they use indents quite heavily so like if you define a function on one line then the code that actually defines the meat and potatoes of that particular function all has to be indented under that function definition anyway and visually it makes sense but yeah visually it makes if sense. you're a curious person like me and yeah. anytime somebody tells you something arbitrary your immediate response is but why though <laughs> right and then when you're someone like me who wants to know why as well then we get really quickly sidetracked into discussing you know who that. we became just now like the what in during what preceded this yeah we became like a Treyu and that fucking horse Artex, and you're like <laughs> trying to pull me through the swamp, and I'm that horse, and I'm just like, no, 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 nope. and you're like Artex, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm just like sinking lower and lower into the black mud in uh-huh. the swamp of Python sadness, and you're like, no. That's exactly that's exactly the scene. That's how it. But that's out. where we'll end up all of the time. Um, because, bec- well, most it's a fair it's a fair bet that you and I are going to end up like dragging each other through something and getting bogged down and unable to extricate ourselves from it because we're so interested in the details of everything. Yes, but I think that you and I have so much experience with that in life anyway that when we met each other and realized that we have a a sort of propensity to do that, um, that we do have tools to cope with it. Um, yeah, we have incredible coping mechanisms. We have like a treasure trove of coping mechanisms. Yeah, and I think that um, it's definitely of value to learn about those things, even if it's. Oh yeah, fucking... I'm not saying any of this is a bad idea. Oh, right, At some okay. point, something. <laughs> my my categorically steep learning curve is in the like vertical mode right now. Right. I I mean, it's just. I, I would say, like, I would describe your journey up the cliff of programming is that lots of people kind of come over the cliff and are like, oh, and then someone's like over there with a big sign that says, hey, like, I have, I've got a line here that pulls you up like halfway, um, you know, just hook your belt on this line and I'll, I'll start pulling you up. And, and you kind of got on one of those and you went up about three feet and you saw the shit that you were just whizzing past and you're like, hold on, hold on. What the fuck is this down here? And so, like, not only are you, like, scaling the cliff, but you're clung to the side of the cliff, like, peeking at every crack, wondering why it's there, Um, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But it definitely means that um, I think what it means is that when you do actually sort of make progress, you're going to have such a more solid foundation that it will be infinitely valuable to you in your endeavors. So... I, it's one of the reasons I think, like, you know, if we're not in a hurry, then I have no reason to stop you from asking about why. Why, though? I, I mean, at the very least, this will add to my reflexive identity as a highly skilled unemployed person. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just collecting uh, skills over here. Collecting skills. The skill collector. And I'm not going to share them with anyone. 
they're mine. Um, <laughs> My skills. <laughs> get the, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> right. Get the fuck away from me. That's been like, <laughs> man, get the fuck away from me has been something that goes through my head in response to like stimuli in my environment uh-huh. many times a day at this point and has been like, like for the the overwhelming majority of my life. Uh-huh. That's been like a go-to phrase, like it's just a reflexive phrase that echoes in my head when I encounter something in the world. Get the fuck away from me. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Go away. Leave me alone. Leave me I just alone. Be left alone. Le- so leave me good. alone with all of my skills. Uh-huh. Um I did you ever see the Brothers Bloom? It was like Adrian Brody and uh I don't think I've seen that. Oh god, Mark Ruffalo and Rachel Weiss. And they're like the two men are brothers and they are like they perform heists. They're like thieves and they meet Rachel Weiss and she's this like independently wealthy shut in uh-huh. who ha- has, I can't remember if she has an extreme fear of other people or what the deal is, but she never spends time around other people. And all she does is learn how to do things. So she's an expert at like all kinds of random crap, like archery. Like she's an excellent archer because she has nothing but time and money and isolation and so she becomes excellent at a random assortment of things and they run into her in an effort to like perpetrate a heist against her which fails because she's like this rogue genius it's really great it's a great movie that sounds really fun i'll have to check that out but i i've always appreciated her and not in like a directly aspirational way where i'm like i want to be just like this fictional character from a movie but in a way where i'm like i i identify heavily with this because i have time and sometimes I have money to like learn new things or sometimes the things I'm learning don't take that much money. So it's irrelevant, but right. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the fantastic things about the internet is that um, it's, <sighs> I want to caveat this, that I understand that there is a barrier to entry um, and there is a fairly hefty financial barrier, but it's much lower um, than it could be probably. And so, with the internet and the access to like some decent amount of education at some point in your life, um, you do have access to a lot of information that is fairly free. Um, other than your time, obviously that's the main thing. Um, all we've got is time. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's pretty great. Um, I definitely want to qualify that with, there are hordes and hordes of people who, um, lose access to that information all the time, whether it's through like improper education or no education and then not being aware of it or mm-hmm. um, just not having access to the internet. Because again, there is that barrier of cost and like having to be somebody who has a stable of enough life in order to be able to spend time on the internet. Um, yeah. Like over and over and over again. Right. So, um, well anyway, so immunitize the eschaton. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm feeling like I want to burn everything down right now. Yeah, so uh, I think just for historical purposes, we should highlight that the modern use of the phrase started with a Eric Vogelin in the New Science of Politics in 1952, um, and then a conservative spokesman, William F. Buckley, popularized the phrase as don't immunitize the eschaton. Um 
and it became kind of a popular slogan of young Americans for freedom during the 1960s and 1970s. Um, and I, so, yeah. I picked it up because I have a business card from someone who I met Lord knows where or in what context. I suspect it was in Michigan. Uh-huh. And it it has the person's name on it, which is obviously not their legally given name. Mm-hmm. And then underneath their name for their essentially job title or whatever, like you would find on a business card, what their business is, is eschatonic immin- immunitization. <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> and I... I I saved it. It's uh-huh. in one of my Hobo Nichis. Like I've got it tucked into it. So I'll come across it randomly at some point in the future when I need to look up something that I wrote down to myself years ago. I can't remember which one it's in. I want to say 2017. Anyway, uh, I had like clearly forgotten about the reference to the Eschaton in David Foster Wallace in Infinite Jest. But I had not forgotten about that business card. And I always thought that being an eschatonic immunitizer would be a great job. <laughs> uh, I mean, there is there is a certain level of... Um, it's kind of the the appeal of being someone who is, is freed of all kinds of um, social bonds because you're, you're free to just basically destroy everything as you as you see um Mm -hmm. you know as you feel like there's sort of a certain level of um disregard for order and uh and like sort of social social structures and Mm -hmm. and so it does appeal to someone who's like wants to go against the grain on things like that anyway or feels uncomfortable in the sort of social bonds that they find themselves in um i think that it's it's definitely uh kind of bizarre to me um i think i think you know there's different like depending on how you feel about death and um whether you think there's something that comes after that or not can have a big bearing on whether this appeals to you because i think if you this is definitely like the kind of belief system that um seems to kind of logically follow the idea that there's an afterlife, right? So if there if there's an afterlife and that afterlife right. is great, then is there a way to get there more quickly? Right. Yes. I think that's the big idea. Right. And so um <laughs> the, the the uh the 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 not the the secular version of that is God, let's get this over with quick. <laughs> right. Right. Which well. is the which is the sort of perspective that I hold. Right. right. Just get me off this fucking ride. Um, Rip the bandaid off. Let's go. Right. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, which is definitely how we arrived at picking this topic after um, you slogging through an hour of me explaining the nuances of Python to you. Well, the, um, the painful thing, uh, yeah. not painful, but the thing that, the thing that causes any kind of pain in this situation is the differential between how much you know about these things and how little I know. Yes. And so I am unable to judge from my ignorance 
how much of what you're telling me is too much for me to absorb until we've gotten to the point where I grasp at least a portion of it and anything beyond that is too much. Right. But we don't know that until it's too late. Right. <laughs> because for you, what you're telling me is such a tiny, 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 tiny component of the big picture. And so I, I'm unaware of when you've revealed too much information to be helpful to me uh -huh. until I'm like, I think that, I think the checkpoint was like 45 minutes back that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also hilarious because it fits with the humorous alter ego <laughs> that I have. Which is that anytime that I get into a car and have to navigate, I am called Magellan as a nickname because I am super bad at navigating because I forget to tell other people what's in my head. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. right. So in other words, like somewhere 15 minutes into you describing an hour's worth of Python programming to me today, I should have been like, hey, that's our turnoff. But I yes. just let you keep going <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because I didn't realize it was our turnoff. <laughs> so <laughs> whether in real life or whether someone's giving <laughs> A roadmap in the abstract, I am equally bad at navigating. <laughs> I, I was just actually reminded, and I think this is apropos of like what we're talking about here, which is that um, remember when we were taking a uh, trip to um, that which shall not be named, but we were road yes! tripping somewhere and um, <laughs> yes! and you were driving and I was navigating and we had decided on having some <laughs> dinner somewhere and I was like, great. And I looked at it and I like, I thought I figured out that it was going to be about 15 minutes away. And then we kind of like, we're like, great. Then we won't eat here. And we jumped in the car and we like zoom off away from like this place where, where we could have gotten food. And, right. um, and then about 10 minutes in, I'm looking at the map again and I'm like, I've made a critical error. And whatever I thought was 15 minutes away was actually more like an hour and 15 minutes away. And I know that seems ludicrous in this day and age of like gps's and all of that but i don't remember exactly how i got there but i just made this mistake i remember just thinking i was like oh meg i've made a grave mistake <laughs> <laughs> and it was fine but it was like i think that's also kind of what happened here this morning a little bit is that i just kind of was like this will be fine we're gonna go from here to here it's it's no problem it's, just, it's like one inch on the map yeah it's like one inch on the map um i just didn't realize what scale we were at so Right. Anyway, um you didn't tell me anything. Like here's the thing though. Yeah. Like if I was just a normal type of person who could accept something as it is and as it's presented like here is a thing and be like, "Uh-huh." Then we would have gotten through what you were explaining to me in probably half the time and I would have maybe been able to reproduce it. Yeah, at 100%. I, Instead right. what happened is there's like there are so many things that I didn't ask you questions about because I was like, "Oh, that's irrelevant to whatever we're talking about right now and I'm just going to bog us down like that fucking horse artex swamp." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but what about that? No. no. <laughs> Pay attention. Oh, so funny. Um so now I'm just thinking about like how easy it is. Like I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this sentiment. I'm just smarter than to let it impact how I'm going to live my life. Right. Yeah. Um, I, what I mentioned to you right before we started recording this was I, it's so easy to hate all this tech stuff. It's so easy to hate it. But yeah. I know, <clears throat> I know what it's good for 
mm-hmm. in theory. And so I'm willing to put up with it because I know what I'm going to get off the back end is totally worth it. But it's like, man, this is, I think the only other thing that makes me as like intellectually frustrated up front is accounting, which I just hate. I hate accounting. I hate doing it. I fucking hate the way that we think about accounting. I don't like the tools that accountants use, I, which is hilarious because I come from a long line of accountants. It's nuts how many accountants are in my family. That's funny. There's That's accountants and artists and there's a crossover like between the two circles of the Venn diagram in our family. There's like a huge crossover between the people who are both accountants and artists. It's uh-huh. very strange. Huh. There are also a lot of typesetters. But <clears throat> the point is... It, it occurs to me... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Make the point. I don't know. What occurs to you? Oh, um, it occurs to me, as you said, that it's really easy to hate all this tech stuff. Um, it, I, to go with our theme of immunitizing the eschaton, um, I would argue that in some ways me teaching you this is immunitizing your, your personal eschaton around um, technology because mm-hmm. as, as you learn more about programming, um, I think it will become more and more clear to you how bad everything is in our tech environment. Like I'm super worried about this. The thing like, I can see it on the horizon, man. My dad. Oh God. My dad said to a friend of mine, and I wasn't there for this, but then my friend of mine um, that I've worked for worked with for many years. Um, my dad once said to him, he said, "Listen, the thing you need to understand is that all of this stuff barely works." Um, and that's kind of the problem, right? The problem is, is that 90, you know, there's like the error, the error acceptance level in software development versus any other engineering discipline is insane. So like, Um, in other words, the amount, the amount of dysfunction that you can build into what you refer to a finished product and still sell it as a finished product is so far beyond any other industry or workforce or profession or like you can be a total colossal fuck up. And not only does everybody have to use your shit, they have to pay you for it. Right. Like it's infuriating. Is it fair to say that the tech industry is absolutely laser focused on constantly pushing boundaries and not at all on backward looking refinement? Because that's what it feels like. Um, yeah. So I think that not, okay. There, there is, um, it's like you shoestring something together, it barely works, and you're like, great, don't ever have to think about that again. On to the next thing. Right. So I think this is, again, my opinion and from my perspective where I sit mm-hmm. in my my sort of my 20 years of software development. Um, yeah. There are, uh, there are, most developers are aware of something called tech debt, which is the idea that you kind of blast past something to an end goal, and now you've accumulated a lot of... Um, debt in terms of work that needs to be done to go back and fix things. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you've created this product that it's like, you know, 50% of the time it hits its target, but in order for that to be, or, you know, it hits its target, but it's incredibly insecure. Like, you know, it's great as a prototype because it proves that, you know, this, whatever is possible, a thing is possible. And so it's great demonstration and it allows you to do some testing and understand more about what the implications are of being able to do this thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but 
the tech debt is the fact that it's like okay but it's this behemoth of um work that needs to be done in order to make that product like actually viable from the software developer's point of view like like someone like me where i'm like yeah but the data it doesn't scale correctly and it's going to break in these ways like scaling is often a problem it's like somebody comes up with something it works really well for a hundred users and then they're like great let's go live and now they have ten thousand users and now they can either throw money at it to have more hardware um you know chunk the inefficient code or they can go back and rewrite the code and going back and rewriting the code is the idea of tech debt so um because of that I know that software developers are aware of the problem. I know that people who are involved in software development are aware of the problem. Um, and it's something that is talked about a lot in the community uh, or a fair amount. Um, companies I've worked for have different ways of addressing that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there is, um, I, you know, I can speak, I can speak positively to the idea that people aren't just completely unaware of it. It's not like, but, um, at the same yeah. time, uh, I don't know that we are as a species, like it's, it's a really like software development is so abstract from, um, as an, as a concept and a space that it's really hard to, um, measure. Like we don't always have tools that are, are, that are good at even determining whether something is like ready for production whatever the fuck that means like or even thinking about it it's it's a Mm -hmm. um it's a really 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 wicked intractable problem um that is it's worth thinking about um it's one of the problems of course is like like most things like where it meets capitalism is where things start to fall down um you know where capitalism is like like to me at least in this case in the case of technology because it seems like <clears throat> it seems like the main motivator here. Well, I look back and I'm like, okay, before we were all reliant on communicating and conducting business and buying things and sending things, like uh, we do everything electronically now. And I don't necessarily know, like I don't want to say this is always worse than doing everything not digitally. Like, I, that's not a statement I'm willing to make, nor do I actually think that. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I just wonder if the propensity for personal enrichment in technology is so high that it has created a false dependence on these things. It's just, we've, so much of what we do is now built around finding workarounds and band-aids and patches for all of the technology that we basically have no choice to live without anymore Mm -hmm. and and like your shit over there doesn't talk to my shit over here because it's a different brand because brands are the result of capitalism and so like it's not it we can't all have the same thing we all have to have this illusion of choice and like the 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 marketing that goes into trying to convince people that this this thing is different from this other thing or like the very basic stupid changes that you have to tweak a product in order to say that it's different from something else just so you can slap a different name on it and sell it 
And like the fact that we're all pushed relentlessly towards having a proliferation of new things that cost new money at all times in order to keep our economy going. Like, I just wonder if that is accounts for the tolerance in tech to push out a highly uh, priced product that doesn't necessarily actually work. Um, Did any of what I said just make fucking sense? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm just wondering why we get why why do we all feel like it's worth it to constantly use shit that takes so much time and energy on like a human level to use when it doesn't even work that well. Um I mean I, I think there's there's a lot <laughs> I'm there's so a lot like flooded with irritation right now and all this shit that I don't even know if I'm speaking in whole there's, sentences. There's a lot there's a lot to unpack there, Meg. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> I I think uh I I think what uh. I think what you're saying is um is a well a well trodden um complaint path. Like uh and Why am I forced to use your crappy shit and buy it again and again and again and again when it never really works? Right. That's my question. At writ large, like everybody has to do this. Yeah. Why, why do we live like this? There's the question. Why are we living like this? Right. Um, and that's kind of that problem of, um, you know, we have, we live like computers allow things to happen a lot faster. They really, really um, shortcut the wait time for processes to be finished, especially in the sort of abstract realm where it's like, um, you know, automation, industrial automation has, you know, meant that goods can be produced really, really quickly. Um, resources can be consumed, can be gathered much more quickly. Like our ability to process like forest, like forestry products and natural resources like minerals and things like that are much faster than they've ever been. Um, and then those minerals and, and raw goods are turned into uh, consumable goods really quick. And so, um, and then we're abil- our ability to access them are, you know, infinitely faster because of computers, right? Like the whole yeah. Amazon distribution network is because of, the ability to um, use computers to quickly, quickly process things like route planning and things like that. That um, and yeah, so the amount of like waiting around that human beings do anymore is like super reduced. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The way okay. less waiting around. Yeah, and it's weird because I like I think about just in the realm of like you know thinking about like okay, so going to a brick and mortar store and getting a good versus like going on Amazon and ordering it. The the idea that Amazon was able to kind of get that down to a level of like same day delivery means yeah. that it is insane. It's it's so out competes the idea of like me having to go to a brick and mortar store and hope that they have something that's going to solve my problem. Um, yeah. And I don't, you know, I shopped so little in brick and mortar stores because they were so bad at it by the end that um, in my mind, they've already died. I mean, I know they still exist, but I, you know, they they don't. Um, and the reason I say that is that they were so bad at it because you go to a brick and mortar store, and they're suffering from that that illusion of choice, right? So I go to like you know an offer supply store, and there's 50 million pencils on the wall, and they're right. all basically the same pencil rebranded or different paint color. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want any of these. To the point where, like, you can even buy lead that is standardized for different brands of mechanical pencils. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there is, it is possible. Some people actually use it as a feature of their product that it works with and interacts with other people's shit. Not techno. Right. And, and, or like I'm buying paper and it's like, I can buy, um, you know, six different brands of, um, you know, normal, like, what is it? 15 pound or 20 or 24 pound, um, you know, reams of, uh, of, you know, white bond printing paper, but I can't get some fucking like lightweight, like paper that I want to like take notes on. That's not like, you know, almost a millimeter thick because they just don't even offer that. Yeah. If, if what you want is that heavyweight bonded, like print paper that works in every single printer with inkjet or laser, it does it your, regardless of whatever the other specifications are, you've got it. Like you've got, you've got, 30 choices of right. that thing. But if you want anything slightly off from that thing, I can't get it. And so, it. right. And so that's why, like, you know, the pencil problem, it's like, I can get all these pencils. And because at some point someone said, Oh, number two pencils are the ones that are good for standardized tests. Then all pencils are now number two pencils. And I can't get a fucking number one to save my life. Or three. I love or three. Yes. Like I can't get a softer pencil. I can get an art pencil. Sure. Yeah. Art, you know, art. Thank, thank goodness for artists being like, okay, well, we need all these different shades or all these right. different hardnesses. But I have to go to a specialty art store to get a pencil like that. And it won't be a writing pencil because it won't have a fucking rubber tip on the end so I can erase shit. Yeah. And so I end up being like, fuck, fuck going to a brick and mortar store. What's the point? At least online, I can go. And even then, it's like Amazon's not that great. Like, even then, I'm like on eBay finding some like distributor in India who's like, you yeah. know, some hope in hell that somebody's going to want to buy his pencils. And I'm buying pencils that take six weeks to arrive. But oh my God, am I excited to get those fucking pencils? Thank you, right. that guy. <laughs> we need to have like a chart. <clears throat> I want to see a chart that measures things in several dimensions. So the, I want to see the, f- the flux in the different variables that go into the experience of buying something in America now. Yeah. So there's like for for all of your frustration with brick and mortar stores. So yeah. your frustration is really high because the the feasibility of finding what you want in a brick and mortar is so perilously low. Right. So like availability variable is way low. Like frustration is super high. Mm-hmm. Your dependence on the internet is super high. Um and like the amount, but the uh, somewhere in there, it creates the perfect recipe for the end result being you're super excited when it shows up, even though it took you six times as long to get it. Uh-huh. Like it's all the variables are screwy. It's like trying to listen to music on a stereo where the equalizer bars are all set wrong. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. This also makes me think of like. The situation that we're describing here where there's like 600 million of the exact same thing on the shelf, but if you want something that is not that thing, you cannot get it anywhere, right? Right. That, it to me, is like the juxtaposition or the inversion of <clears throat> what a former, um, per, like someone I used to know who grew up in what used to be Transylvania. Oh, cool. Um, to spoke of what it was like to live under communism Uh on the east side of things 
So behind the Iron Curtain and how like everything was state sponsored, like here's your all the grocery stores stock the same food because it's like the food of the food of the people. And so like when you need canned peas, you don't go in and look at like Del Monte or like the store brand or the organic version of each of those things, which puts you up to like four different types of fucking peas or like this or that or the other thing. You have like the peas that the government gives you because they are the peas. Right. If you need peas, these are the peas. Now you have the peas. Like, there's no decision here. There's just the peas. Uh-huh. And we made the decision for you. And the decision we made on that's best for everybody is these are the peas, right? Right. And, like, on sometimes I kind of – I can appreciate if we're going to assign any kind of beneficence to that viewpoint. Like, I can appreciate the thought that went into this into trying to save everybody time and energy because that situation is the opposite of what we have here. Yeah, And so in the same way, I'm like thinking about how bizarro we live in bizarro world because like our whole lives, you and me, we've been told like, like we had, we came, we, uh, we were born in the echo chamber of anti-communism and anti-socialism. And yet so much of the actual meat and potatoes of the human experience in America right now is a shocking similarity or inversion of the thing that we are most afraid of supposedly as a nation and as a like political culture. How the fuck did we get here? Like, I just need some paper here. This is the one state paper. You can have any kind of paper you want as long as it's the state paper. And like that, that's what we're afraid of. And yet here you're like, I just need some paper. It's like, you, must have this paper but you're going to do all of your work today thinking and burning through your like glucose calories in your brain trying to decide which of these identical things is not in fact identical to the other ones (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) and if you want something besides this like mountain of identical things you can fuck yourself (laughs) because you can't get it or you can get it at the cost of like the environment and jobs that actually support people to have some autonomy in their lives yeah (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just like, it's a fucking dystopia, like we've been saying. Like, Yeah, and that's kind of the the whole thing about designing a dystopia. I was thinking about how, um, you know, one of the things we maybe need to add to our list at some point is the concept of like, um, just extremes of things. So you could take what might sound like, basically like, one kind of dystopia is an extreme utopia, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you kind of, um, you take the, you take whatever it is that you're trying to do and then you just push it to the extreme. So like capitalism, it's like we push it to the extreme. Um, you know, where, you know, in this world, it's like communism generally is bad, not because of the concept of it. It's the execution. Like the concept is like, okay, you know, it's, it's communal. It's not terrible. Um, the problem is, is that usually oftentimes it's just an, it, it ends up being a kind of oppression because you end up with somebody in power who makes those decisions and whoever makes those decisions has all the power and they want to accumulate more power and they end up, you know, um, you know, people end up li- living in a kind of dy- dystopian despot situation. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so that's kind of, uh, it's. I think I think like a lot of these things. Um, so, for instance, like I was I was thinking about this earlier when you were kind of rambling or rambling when you were ranting about um, the problem, <laughs> some of the some of the side effects of capitalism. And I was thinking about how um, in the you know in the natural world we have this concept of like uh, natural selection and uh, evolution, and 
Um, capitalism, in a way, attempts to create a a market space that allows for evolution and natural selection of better goods, right? Yeah. In theory. Um, uh, yeah, I'll go with that. And I think that there have two problems with it. One of them is is that uh, if you observe the natural world and you look at the way natural selection works, it sucks for any individual that's participating in it. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Like for that perfect frog sitting on that fucking lily pad looking hap- happy and fat and eating flies, lazing about in the sun and having a good time, um, there were you know millions and millions of frogs that died horrible, horrible deaths. Right. Like horrible, terrible, painful suffering, um, you know, from diseases, from, um, you know, the the lucky ones just got their heads bit off by another creature at some point. You know, it's like, um, and, you know, and they suffered their whole lives. And, and so I just think like, okay, well, why would we recreate that for ourselves? Yeah. Um, you know, I think... Like capitalism is all great when you're able to be divorced from the um, the ramifications of it as an individual. And that's part of the problem, too. Like we have all these MBAs running around practicing business or whatever the fuck they think they're doing. <laughs> and, um, I'm sorry. And, and the problem it's is... It's one of is my that, favorite complaints. Is and, like- <laughs> and like in one way, it is as it should be in the sense that they're oftentimes divorced from the ramifications of their choices, right? Like yes. that, that is the... Uh, like that's definitely, I would argue, that's the right way to participate in capitalism because then you're not personally responsible for the suffering and pain that happens when something fails. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. a bigger beast comes along and bites your head off. It's like, oh, but it wasn't actually me. But the problem that um, is that sure you didn't have that happen but all those people that were employed and all of those people who are actually suffering the consequences of your decisions do we as consumers or we as um employees of these companies because not all of us can be the you know the ceo of a company um you know we're the ones who pay for it like pay for your choices so it from where i sit that creates a situation in which the definition of success in this system is the abandonment of the qualities of a person that make them human and uh, move towards a de-emphasis on empathy because empathy is a liability. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a liability because they're not, they're not tied to the consequences of their, their actions. So, um, and and so it creates a very broken natural selection system too, right? Because then the people who are making decisions about the entities acting in this like this sort of primordial soup of evolution and, and natural selection that we're calling capitalism, um, the ones that have any choices or any power in the system have zero of the consequences. And so they're not motivated to make good decisions. They're just right. not. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, who cares? Fuck it. They're more likely to be more radical in their ideas. They're more likely to make really, really risky decisions as, as is emphasized by, or as is supported by the evidence of our current situation in the past, you know, 50 or 60 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean like bank bailouts, what, you know, whole, whole industry bailouts, what, you know, like, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that like, the bailout in and of itself, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not even trying to de- 
debate the merits of that. I'm just saying it's like the pure existence of that suggests that there is a lot of like radical sort of um, risky, risky behaviors being taken in in the in the space, right? Yeah, and isn't this situation where, like, I know that this is going to be really reductive, and I don't actually Please, know enough about this. let's be reductive. So let's just be really reductive about it. So, like, in other countries, when the state steps in to, like, boost up or, like, take over or financially bail out a failing entity like that, isn't that just what socialism is? Like, that's when the state well, becomes financially... Yeah, entangled in the business like you can stay you can nationalize like an oil program like they do in other countries right 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 and they're seen as like socialist countries because the government owns the it yeah. owns the thing that belongs to everybody right. as members of that group and so like i just it what it looks like to me on the surface is that these situations are extremely similar but in our case we don't let the responsible party continue to oversee its continued existence. We just hand it back to the same fuck ups that fucked it up and say, well, now what do you think is the best way to not let this happen again? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is like, I see this, um, I see this also in other, like, I see this in other areas too. I, I'll let you. It's, I was just kind of, I'm envisioning it's like you have this like teenage child who, um, you know, you, you give them this car and, um, and they, they take it for a spin and then they get really drunk and they go wreck it and they come home and they're like, you know, you're like, okay, well you need a car to get to school. So we're going to buy you another car. So here you go. Right. Yes. And then they wreck that one and they're like, you're like, well, but you need a car. So here you go. But um, yeah, we just have no choice here. I mean, right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I can't speak as an expert on any of the like sort of the economic stuff, but, um, yeah, it does. I, I think I, I do like to kind of look at those things in terms of like what I do know about natural selection and, and evolution and understanding how that, those systems work and right. where there's well, that's like where it gets interesting when you take ideas that are well tested and understood in other areas and try to like apply them to the thing you're curious about over here. And yeah, yeah. I think it's a kind of an interesting kind of thought experiment. Um, well, this is why I'm learning Python, not yes. because I really want to, but because it's going to help me connect different things that I want to intersect with each other yes. in ways that I'm unable to do right now. Right. And so there's an end goal in mind. What I was thinking about um, where I've seen echoes of the same sort of problem that we're talking around here is um, it, here in Minneapolis, the situation with police and defunding or not defunding the police or what is, what is the situation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so the problem as I see it is that the public says to the people in charge, hey, we have a problem with cops in Minneapolis. They're hyper violent and they kill people without due process all of the time. And most of the people when they do that, that they do that to are black or indigenous. And so uh, we need to do something about this. And then this, the authorities, the leadership, yeah. In this case, the city council and the mayor and our governor to some extent 
say, we hear you. Uh, we see you over there. This is a huge problem. Clearly, we're hearing about it from all of you. So let's find a solution together. And then they turn around and look at the cops and go, hey, cops, what do you think the problem is? Uh, uh, well, how do you propose we fix a problem that everybody has with you? <laughs> and the cops are like, well, <laughs> like, stop asking the abusers Right, what they think right. the problem or what they think the solution should be to solve the abuse. Like, see also corporate polluters. See also white-collar criminals. See also Wall Street. See also racists. See uh-huh. also sexists. Like, right. stop asking the people who are perpetrating the harm what they think the best solution to that harm is. Yeah. And then stop paying them to come up with that solution. Right, right. Seriously. Come on. Okay. The soapbox moment there. <laughs> I'm fucking tired of it. It's the problem everywhere. I see the same fucking problem. Hey, there's a problem with X. Oh, you're right. There is a problem with X. Let's let's ask X what X is going to do about eliminating X as a problem. You can't ask something to deconstruct itself existentially. Anything you ask to do that is going to to. resist. Right. No. God, it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm so pissed off because this is not even like the details of the problems are irrelevant. The details are irrelevant. Whether this is like economic, whether it's social, whether it's environmental, like the problem that leads to the situation over and over again is that we keep asking the people doing the abuse what they think the solution to the abuse is. And we're not going to get an answer. Yeah. Yeah. They're just going to keep doing the same thing. <sighs> yeah. It's just. It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, our um, city council now is like split right down the middle on oh, really? sane people who yeah. have logic that holds up. Um, when, when is tested, your next, when's your next round of a bunch elections? of liars on the other half? What? When's your next <laughs> yeah. election for the city council? Oh man, it's 2021, I think. Okay. So they have some time to like, yeah. And there's like, not everybody's up for reelection every year. Yeah. Right. Um, um well, obviously, we're not going to solve that problem, but I think that um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I do think that that uh, is a great sort of tie-in back to the idea of eminatizing the eschaton. Um, I think that a lot of I fear that there are a lot of politicians, especially in the U.S., who uh, are kind of tied have like sort of religious ties or ideology around eminatizing the eschaton. Um, definitely the way they behave towards like policy and things. It's like, man, you, you guys create policies that are just like for killing people and making Mm -hmm. the, making the world terrible. Like, you know, fuck it. Like we don't need to worry about global warming. Like, like do more of that. Bigger cars, burn more fossil fuel, you know, strip mine this shit. Um, I was going to say, so I just noticed this, uh, and I thought since we're kind of getting towards the end of the hour, we could do a tip for living well in hell. Immunitize the eschaton. <laughs> well, okay, that or, and I was going to suggest that um, you might want to read books that you enjoy. And uh, that might be a good way to um, make your life a little less miserable is if you find books that you enjoy and read more of them. Um, you know, find authors. And the reason I say that is because we were mentioning um, David Foster Wallace earlier in this episode when we were talking about the game Eschaton in, that he references in the novel uh, 
infinite jest. Yes. I do want to also put a caveat that I'm pretty sure David Foster Wallace is kind of a sexist asshole and probably um, both an amazing writer and a terrible person. Um, like many amazing writers. I can't it's complicated. argue with any of that. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Um, and so I definitely, if you're listening to this and you are not a fan of David Foster Wallace, please don't put me in the bucket of like one of those guys who can't shut up about David Foster Wallace. Like he's... But I also love David Foster Wallace and I am the people who he was sexist towards if you can well yeah yeah say no, that without it being uh, right a, a it's weird absurd it's, statement like yeah and i definitely want to make it you know put it forward that like however great his work is it's not a defense of the things like of the other problems so just let's put that aside anyway right anyway i thought don't you talk shit about david <laughs> i wanted to point out um that the use of the term immunitized eschaton in popular culture and this is why um there's some books that it's been referenced in 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 more recent time and i wanted to um kind of tie that in with the tip for living well in hell uh so the science fiction author frederick pohl wrote a trilogy of books from 1997 to 1999 known as the eschaton sequence Hmm. and uh uh, he writes about kind of like alien races and galactic wars and stuff. And so this, these, this series was kind of about the human race being caught up in a galactic war between two alien races, both attempting to immunitize the eschaton. Um, but this is where I think you Meg, might find this particularly interesting. So the three yes. books are titled, the first book is called the other end of time. The second book is called the siege of eternity. And the third book is called the far shore of time. And Yay. I, yeah, so I thought you might appreciate that last one in particular. That's so exciting. That's what yeah. we named our house. Yeah, the far shore. Ah, that's so great. Yeah. Well, that's fun. I yeah. would, I would like to read these now. Uh, he's an interesting author. I've read some of his work. Um, he writes uh, he he does manage to build a lot of tension in his books, or at least the ones that I read early on. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but he wrote this series that it was like the basically humanity had kind of like started to move out into the stars or we, or we'd, I think maybe we'd either kind of, I think we'd made it to um, like the closest star systems near us, like light faster than light travel was not possible. And um, so long distances were a big deal. And I think I can't remember exactly, but there was like they discovered this like alien space station and um, in the alien space station were these um, these sort of like pod spaceships and someone had figured out how to activate them. And as best they could tell, they were basically on these like programmatic programmatic flight plans. And so you could um, if you got in one and you pushed the button, you had no idea how long it would take before it arrived where it arrived at. And then you could push the button and come back and it would take the same amount of time. And so um, the problem was that, uh, and so there was this like culture around people risking it all to make great money is the idea is that if you took one of these pods, you might not survive the trip and you might not Uh live to make it to the other end to come back. So 
Um, because then the reason you wouldn't survive the trip are unknown, but one of the more obvious ones is that you'd run out of like food and oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would just go for too long. And so, yeah. um, <clears throat> and the way that the ones that work, like the ones that were on the shorter trips that people knew about, you would kind of know it would burn in one direction for half the trip length and then it would flip around and burn to reduce speed in the other direction right so like you're speeding up the whole time until you're at the halfway point between your destination and where you're leaving from and then the ship would turn around and then and then it would burn to reduce speed until you arrived at your destination and so um and so you knew when you got in the ship you kind of you knew when the halfway point was because the uh engines would shift around and you would feel it um and so a lot of the early parts of the novel that I remember reading was just about this guy who had like taken this trip and it was just like as as the days wore on and and the ship hadn't turned around, he was getting more and more nervous because he was trying to ration out all the food he had and he was hoping to survive the, you know, the length yeah. of the journey. So anyway, and then and then they would, um, you know, and then there's a lot of stuff about the alien technology and things that they would find but if they were Why was it random? It wasn't random. It was that they didn't know. They didn't. They couldn't speak the language. They didn't know how to interact with the ships other than they knew uh-huh. if you push this button, it would do this thing. And so it wasn't random. It was just once a ship was activated, the only way to know if it was like you, you had to write it out, get to the other end, and then activate it again to come back and report what was there. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, and these sh- these books were written really early and like now you'd be like well duh just put a robot on there that can live a long time and then do the thing like okay but this is you know this is really early sci-fi i think you wrote them in like the 50s and 60s or something and so you kind of have okay. to you have to you have to like there is no modern allowances. context for yeah there's no modern yeah. context for this right like we would just be like of course you're not putting a person on there you just put a recording device <laughs> with a button like what um don't be absurd yeah so anyway uh, <laughs> but the reading you said that made me yeah. laugh really hard for some reason <laughs> huh. interesting yeah anyway i um i he yeah so frederick pohl wrote a lot of interesting science fiction um and hmm. apparently continues to i imagine his his the eschaton sequence might actually be very good because that's a more modern uh a mar- modern tale of his his so Anyway, I mean, I guess it's over 20 years old now, but whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. It's fine. Modern is um, relative. Right. Um, what, so what is the name of the author? I want to write it down quick. Oh, Frederick, uh, Frederick Pohl. So first name is Frederick. Last name is Pohl. P-O-H-L. Great. I'm going to put that in the notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh, I like science fiction. We watched a crazy movie about a a spaceship that goes off course, and then they lie about it, and they should have just like ripped the band aid off, but they didn't, and then it descends into chaos because they sort of like keep this lie going that everything's fine until it's like well past the point where there's any denying that things are not fine, and it at the end of it we kind of were like, is this just a really bad movie? Like throughout it, we were kind of thinking that we weren't getting it because it was foreign language. And also like, um, it was hard to understand, but I don't think it was because we didn't understand it. I think it was just kind of like a poorly told story with a lot of things that just like, it doesn't matter whether it's futuristic or not. This just doesn't make any logical sense. Why anybody would 
anyway find themselves in the situation i get you regardless of like amazing tech or not um doesn't make sense anyway whatever just rip the band-aid off just rip the band-aid off yeah just rip it off um all right well i think we uh i i don't think we really explored the the, the depths of immunizing the eschaton um we can we should do a series on this i think we should and i was thinking maybe we could kind of bring it back to the um to the designing dystopia yeah realm. we're totally we're just gonna circle that drain until we go down it right yes <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna find us like <laughs> when we're old and bitter and we've like managed to survive whatever hellscape is left on the planet we're gonna have some insane like batshit culture built up that we would have criticized formerly but now we're just like colonel kurtz uh-huh. <laughs> that's it where that's who i'm aspiring to be in the future is colonel kurtz colonel kurtz i'm not happy until everybody's just wandering around muttering about the horror <laughs> That's not true. Everybody knows it's not true. Right. Well, or they <sighs> don't. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I think I think we're... Oh, uh, speaking of, I was going to reference... I was just going to put it in context of like, you know, everybody either knows that or they don't. And this is probably a pretty obscure podcast at this point. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're one of our listeners, you probably have been listening for a while. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is your very first episode. That'd be interesting kind of place to start. That'd be weird. Any of them would be a very strange place. I think place they to are. Start. They're all kind of, um, you know, I was like looking through our back catalog and just kind of looking at like, um, I think this will be like, this episode will be in the 90s. We may be on the verge of, I'm not sure when we'll publish this, but I, we're coming around, we're circling around episode 100. I think the way that we, um, we create the podcasts and the way that we number them makes it very difficult for us to know which one will be 100 until we've already recorded it. Mm. Um, so I don't think we're going to be able to do well. Also, it's going to be a shocking surprise to everybody. It's going to be a shocking surprise to everybody. And we won't actually be able to maybe, uh, elucidate that it is episode 100 in the podcast because it will have already been recorded and just put up on the, on the website. Um, I mean, yes, our, our whole process revolves around variables that are not what number of podcasts in a row is this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. I do. I mean, it works really well for us, which is that we record when we have ideas and when we can think of them. And then we have a release schedule that is like, you know, right. long, long ones on Mondays, short ones on Thursdays. And, um, and we get them up on the, on the episode, uh, in the, in the software running on the server. And then the server basically just looks at like, Oh, when is the date? Oh, great. Release the next one. Um, I suppose we could probably reorganize them in a way that, would allow us to know exactly what number it is, but eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't ascribe a lot of value in that. Um, No, I don't. It is like, I think as a listener, like when I listen to other podcasts and there's like, it's episode 100 and it's like, eh, okay. But what's interesting, like what's going on? Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Uh, anyway, um, so listen to our podcast because you are. And also, um, reach out to us and communicate with us. I if kind you want of to. want the experience of our podcast to be a sort of like, um, like anti gravity disorienting 
float by float like, by uh-huh like when you go in an airplane and you have a like a a lot of people don't ever get the uh, the opportunity to do this and yeah i've been in an airplane where you go on parabolic curves so that you are weightless <gasps> you've done that of time yeah oh that's fantastic and yeah. it's like it's a very strange sensation because you feel gravity yes and and in fact you feel it worse than normal maybe yeah and you're like wow it's really hard to move around and then all of a sudden like what you're seeing doesn't change but your relationship to everything that you can see suddenly changes entirely and so like up and down don't make sense anymore and like left and right don't well left and right are still there but like you have to float to get to them you can't you can't just reach out and be there in those yeah. dimensions in the ways that you could if you w were using gravity Right. as a force that you can counteract to propel yourself in a specific direction. And so like you, as soon as you go without gravity, all of the normal touch points for an experience and how you're supposed to behave within a space dissipate. Right. Um, and your brain is aware of this in a way that I can't fully describe in words. Uh, so I kind of think of that, like, I like to think of our podcast as if you showed up, as soon as you cross over the threshold into our liminal space, it doesn't really matter when you showed up or how you got here or what direction you came from, because all of that is irrelevant once you're trapped right. inside with no gravity or orientation. Uh -huh. what, what matters is that you're here now. Right. And you're never getting out. Right. <laughs> well, if you've had a different experience than that, or you've had that very same experience, you can contact contact us. So you can email um, our executive assistant, Dana, D-A-N-A, at fcbm.io. You can also go to our website, fcbm.io, and get a hold of us directly. You can also find us on Twitter, which is at fcbm underscore io, I believe. And I'm going to just stop pushing the, the whole instagram thing because i don't think either of us are that into it so um it's part of the evil empire it is the social media world is just garbage um anyway emails fantastic shoot us email's an email so great yeah like we uh we'd love to hear from you hear what you have to say we'll definitely um you know take that into consideration or, or tell dana and she'll craft a <laughs> she'll craft a much more yeah <laughs> transmission that we'll both be receptive to at the same time right, right exactly <laughs> if you email dana and tell her what your goals are she will definitely be able to facilitate <laughs> you in communicating that to either meg or i or both of us in a very diplomatic and uh, affirmative way um, um yeah 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 true know, that, and yeah What's the, um, there's like a, God, in a religion I don't belong to or know anything about, there's like a, there's like the, maybe this is Catholicism and I've just blacked it out. Um, it's where like, you can't talk directly to God because if you do, you'll have an epiphany. So you have to speak through like the interlocutor to God who is like this sort of gatekeeper who you can speak with and that's like who you're praying to. Oh, I I'm vaguely familiar with this concept, but I don't I I don't know that I know the word. I feel like Dana is that person. Like if Dana is to the gatekeeper to prevent epiphanies as like whatever these religions are. Like we're the vengeful god in this case that will just burn you alive if you try to talk to us or share ideas directly. With us. We're just like <laughs> 
So, but if you tell Dana, uh-huh. <laughs> then she'll be able to translate for you, and right, and, and you weren't, you won't burst into shield, place. shield you from the wrath of God. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want any of that responsibility. No, no, me neither. Um, no, seriously. Uh, email, please. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all I got. We did a. That was a pretty fun one. I, I, yeah, this is good. I feel better now. I got my heart rate up. Yeah. I have. So I can, I'm too young to take like fucking blood pressure medication. So I just read the Tao Te Ching instead. <laughs> right? right. Speaking of reading books you like. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Find, find, find literature that, that helps you, makes you feel better about things and read more of that and share your ideas yeah. and talk with your friends about it and your family if you, if you'd like to talk to family, but. You know, yeah. Don't do that if you don't want to. Um, okay. <laughs> I think that's it. Okay. <laughs>